All right, turn to one of your neighbors who just came back to the desert to find that they had only a slight bit of flood damage. There is zero question, zero question, that this passage that we will look at today has impacted not only by life, but by extension, Laura's life, our three kids, now son-in-laws, grandson, all that. I assure you that this passage for us has changed the trajectory of our lives, the word is the ability to do that. Sometimes the word speaks universally. And I think in some ways this does obviously speak universally, and it does. But sometimes the Lord gives you a particular passage that's significant for you, and it shapes the very direction that your life will take, not unlike a river. It's as if an embankment's been made by, by a scripture, and it redirects and it, the water goes in very unique and complex and unforeseen ways that only in retrospect can you look back and say, look at all the life. Look at all the trees and the grass and the fruit that sprung up because that river was directed in that way. And it's only with retrospect that you can look back on your life, hopefully, and see fruit emerge from a redirection by the Holy Spirit in your own life. This passage for me was that. Many of you know the story, and I only tell it briefly, briefly, to give those maybe who are watching either by television or by live stream uh, and haven't heard this. It's just that uh, over two decades ago, uh, Laura and I had been married for a number of years. We're coming up on our 30th anniversary but this next summer, but we look back, and it was crafted in a time of prayer and fasting and just sitting in my room saying, I'm not moving until you speak to me. And then one morning, he, I, heard, I heard it. I, I know I didn't, I know my audible, I know my, I know my little drum there and my little, all, my, all the, I forget all the names, I'm forgetting my biology at the moment, and the hairs that pick up all the sensations, everything. I know that didn't go off, but in my head, it was as if it was audible, Luke 14, 23 will be your life verse. And I didn't have a Bible, I didn't know what it was, I, I had no clue where that passage was, I had to go find a Bible and look it up. And to this day, 8 a.m., I have the date written, and all those kinds of things. 25 years ago, it's completely changed my life. Because of that morning, uh, there's no question in my life, there's no question in my mind that I probably would have gone would have gone some different directions without that very clear admonition. I had an opportunity to potentially go back to Wharton Business School and get my MBA. Uh, I don't know, you know, the kid we didn't have kids at that time, uh, and an, or actually Savannah had just been born, and whether or not we would have moved to New York and I would have gotten my MBA and gone to work for a, a very significant development company. I mean, I had I prayed about that for two weeks. And part of it in that prayer was, Lord, how does that fit in with what you told me my life verse was going to be? You can see that the decisions, and we make thousands of them every day, are very often crafted by some overriding principle, some overriding word that the Lord may give you in your life. And that's part of the mystical 
wild, exciting opportunity you have to, well, to be led by the Spirit. And what does Paul say to the Romans? In Romans 8, those who are led by the Spirit, now these are the sons and, by extension, daughters of God. These are the sons of God. I don't say that in any kind of piety, in any kind of I'm holier than you, or none of that. I just want in on what God had. I wanted in on what God, I believed God had a purpose for my life, and I wanted in on it, even though I didn't know what that meant. People told me I was crazy to reject some different things, and but it's not only propelled me forward, it's also restrained me from making a myriad of decisions that I would have made that might have been great and could have provided maybe for my family in a more profound way. At various times, I've had a little guilt, you know, maybe if I would have taken that, I could have, you know, pay, you know, been able to support my kids a little bit better. Is there, you know, I mean, I had all kinds of things going back, but I'm able to come back. Remember, we talked about those, those monuments, those stone monuments that we create as we walk along with God so that we can look back and go, no, I know that he spoke that, and because of that knowledge of him speaking to me in that way at that, whenever that was, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it, it helps encourage me when all those little things come into my mind, what if, I, what if, what if, what if I'd have done this, what if I'd have done that? If you remember last week, we looked at the case where the Lord healed someone, and they were a little bit, he was at a Pharisee's house, and, and they were a little upset about that, and they were all, and he noticed how they were picking pe- places of honor for themselves. You remember? So I'm calling this message today the, the honor crowd. He's in with the honor crowd. It's a religious crowd. In fact, they are working diligently to prove to God that they are his people, and they had that common understanding that they were, in fact, God's people, even in light of what Jesus had just talked about and was and speaking to in parable, parabolically about picking places of honor and all that. They didn't, one of these guys emerges and doesn't feel rebuked. And he, after all of that, in this encounter, he says this, and we're going to look at Luke 14, verse 15 now. And it says, when one of those who, uh, one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So in response to just being rebuked, I don't know that he really understood he was being rebuked. Blessed is everyone who's going to eat bread in the kingdom of God. I mean, this is going to be awesome because he knew, because Jesus was alluding to this, he knew that he was part of the honor crowd. He was part of the it crowd. He was part of the religious establishment that clearly, if anybody was going to be eating bread with uh, their God, the God of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it was this crowd eating here. Blessed are all those who are going to get to eat. And then Jesus is going to respond with this parable that has changed my life forever. Now, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to point out three things real, real quickly. There are things that this man needed to hear in this parable. It's very important that you understand there are three things that this man, assuming that he's part of that crowd. There are, there are millions of people around the world that assume that they are part of the crowd that God approves of. And they assume that all the other crowds... And I'm not talking about multi-religion. We're going to, this is a very narrow door here. We're going to talk about it, and it's Jesus. So this is not pluralism or universalism. Or anything. There are many people that assume that they are part of the honor crowd based on their religious performance, on their pedigree, on their whatever it is. They, 
That assumption is made, and Jesus would come right back and tell this particular parable, and he would be thinking about, well, he would really be thinking about three different things. Number one, he would be saying, and is what we're going to look at in this parable, there is an invitation available to you. Now, they would have thought they were already sitting there. They're already sitting there. You know, they're already part of the crowd. They don't need an invitation to come to a party. They're already at the party. They are the party. And this invitation is going to be quite narrow. And by the way, it's also going to be covered in blood. It's going to be a narrow door. It's going to be a red door. And to enter that, you need an invitation, and here's your invitation. Okay, so first of all, that needs to be established, that an invitation is going to be offered. Number two, and this is very important to see, very important to see, they didn't understand the scope of God's plan for restoration and who would be in the kingdom of God. Had no concept whatsoever, even though all the prophets had talked about the nations and the nations and the nations and even the original, the kind of the, their forefather Abraham, through Isaac, Abraham, the promise was in Genesis 12, in your seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. But they could only see themselves as being part of the honor crowd, only themselves. And then lastly, that they would those that were invited also had the opportunity to play a role. So I think those are the three things. Why does Jesus respond to this statement? Blessed are those who are going to eat bread in the kingdom of God with this parable. You have to understand why. What was he in love trying to persuade and teach and help this man understood if he had what, as Jesus always said, eyes to see and ears to hear. And maybe you're watching this morning or maybe you're in our community this morning and the Lord would say the same thing to you. Do you have eyes to see this morning? Do you have ears to hear? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we need your help. We need your guidance. Lord, I pray that uh, this may not be the life verse for everyone here in the sound of my voice, but I, I will ask you, Lord, to impress on our hearts the teaching that, that prompted and the deep understanding of the kingdom of God as seen through this parable in Luke 14. We cannot... We cannot do this without your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's read the parable, and then verse 23 in particular, as I'll get into a little bit later, again, forever changed my life. Are you ready? Verse 16, but Jesus, he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. Now, that's very important. Just remember, many, many people are invited. In Matthew 22, many are called, but few are chosen. He gives a similar parable, slightly different, but very similar to an invitation to a dinner party. Many are invited, and at the dinner hour, he sent his slave. Remember slave, very important part of this story. Sent his slave to say those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, well, you know, I bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Of course, my first question would be, why? I mean, this is, this land just sits there, you know, but anyway, I need to go out and look at it. And uh, please consider me excused. And another said, well, you know, I bought five yoke of oxen, and, and I'm going to go try them out. And another said, I bought a new golf cart the other day, and I just, I really... <laughs> You know, I, I need to go out and see how fast it is because I've got some buddies that, you know, that, their carts go really fast. And I want to be able to drive this on the streets and park in unique spots all over town because they're a little... Go no, no, I'm sorry. And he, he said, please consider me excuse. Another said, I've married a wife. 
And for that reason, well, I just can't come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master, and the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, go out at once. So first, just remember that he invites his friends. He goes to his friends. And then secondly, he gets angry, and then he goes, go out in the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Now, remember, Jesus had just said uh, just a few uh, lines earlier here in Luke 14 that if you're going to throw a party, why don't you invite the, the blind, the crippled, and the lame? And that can either literally, the outcast, it can be religious outcasts, it can be the wealthiest guy on the planet that's spiritually blind and spiritually crippled and, and really crippled in life because he may have all the money in the world, but he doesn't have the king, doesn't understand that he's a creation, and his, his mind is construing insane thoughts about life and reality. And verse 22, and the slave said, well, master, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways. This is my verse. Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. That verse has changed my life. That verse kept me from going to Horton and getting my MBA. That verse has kept me in the desert when it got to be 120 degrees in July, and I was absolutely convinced that I didn't want to be here in July, that verse has kept me in on a path for 25 years, on a path, that verse. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. God's interested in filling his house, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited, none of those men who were invited will taste of my dinner. Now, remember, that is in response to, oh, isn't it great? All of us, all of us, the religious, the honored crowd, we, oh, to eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, now, how did he perceive that? He might have, was most probably even thinking about a, a here and now kingdom, right, where the Romans were overthrown and, and they would be able to set up their forms of worship again without these overlords being sent from across the Mediterranean and to come in and reign on their parade and, and the kingdom and there'd be some kind of Davidic person arise that would, you know, really conquer their enemies. And I'm probably, he was thinking about that. He might've been thinking in an eternal sense, but he was probably thinking more about a very local scene realm kind of a, kind of a scenario. Look, if you'd worked your whole life to be perfect, religiously speaking, wouldn't you be offended by that? I mean, if you really understood, I mean, he did, obviously this guy didn't really get that he was being rebuked in these previous parables, but I mean, you can imagine the kind of vitriol that would be rising in someone's heart for someone like, who do you think you are? And of course, that was the response to Jesus. Most of the time, who do you think you are? And he was either talking truth or he was talking trash. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was talking truth. These words, again, have shaped my life. What was he trying to communicate? Well, first of all, uh, these excuses, I mean, and they really kind of come into three things. He had his investments, had a piece of land. He had his work life. You know, we talk a lot about work life balance and everything like that. And, and the Bible simply says, seek first, first, don't even balance it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will work out. 
You know, if there's one thing with my own kids or my grandkids or people I know or kids and friends of mine, I just say, look, if you could just camp on that verse for a while, seek first the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God in your life, and then all this other stuff will start to work its way out, and you're going to find life and life more abundant. I mean, uh, Laura and I were talking a little bit about this the other night, uh, talking about wisdom and knowledge. I've been going through a proverb study with men on Thursday mornings for uh, years, literally years, and we talk often about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Sometimes, a lot of people have a lot of knowledge, and they have information, and they have all that, but to, sometimes it takes, most of the time, it takes experience, having walked down a road and either uh, been lived in the knowledge and seen fruit born out of it or not lived into the knowledge and seen pain and suffering in your own life and the lives of those people around you. But eventually, you begin to become wise if you just hang in there. Wisdom, what a beautiful thing. But work, I've got to put work as a priority. If work's not a priority, then I can't provide. No, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And, and then family, of course. So, you know, inv my investments, oh, that's important. My work, of course, that's work. I, it's what provides for my family. And then my family, I've got to, I just married a woman. I've got, I got to pay attention to that. This happened in other places during the ministry of Jesus. My father just died, so I've got to go bury him. And Jesus would always, and sometimes hyperbolically, but always try to come back and say, no, none of that matters at all relative to, relative to seeking, seeking, following, understanding what I'm trying to communicate to you. A new order has come into the world we call it the new covenant, but a new covenant's coming and the whole world is invited. Not just the religious Jews. The whole world is invited. And not only the religious Jews, also the blind and the crippled and the lame, those Jews that were outcasts, the Matthews, the tax collectors, and all those characters, they're all invited. That's what he's communicating here. And it's important to see that's his response to this man. Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean... The beast of the field, we've talked about that. And if you don't know, if you go back into the prophets, I, I believe that oftentimes the Gentiles, because they were worshiping the, the stars and the, the grass and the mountains and the rocks and, you know, pantheists and, and polytheists, and there was sexual cults and all kinds of just horrific behavior all under the auspices of religion, and they were acting like animals. They were really acting like animals. And oftentimes the, the prophets would talk about the beasts of the field. And, and, and anyway, essentially what this parable is saying, and even the beasts of the field are going to be invited. And some of them are going to come in and they're not going to be beasts anymore. They're going to be part of this lineage, this, this faith lineage, this Abrahamic faith lineage. And they couldn't have conceived of that at all. It's harsh. It real, this is harsh for their words. You have to understand. But I meet many people just exactly like they are. They, they construe in their mind that somehow, I meet them all the time. I, I, I have friends. I, ha, I had a friend uh, once, a precious friend of mine, and he's not a believer. He's an atheist, and, but he's a dear friend. And he said, you know, if, I, if, I, if there is a God, and he doesn't believe there is, but there is a God, I will stand before that God, and I will, and he said he, he was going to read the riot act to God if there was a God. A lot of people, we imagine that if we can just, if, we'll get, if there is a God, that we'll just have an explanation when we get there, and we'll just say, well, look, I, I kind of thought this, and obviously I was wrong, so I'm sorry, and, you know. No, I, I'm, I'm not kidding you. These exist. This is a, these ideas that somehow... I, 
of course, okay, I can see it now. I, uh, these excuses, all these excuses, and whether they be religious excuses or otherwise. Hey, I worked really hard in my religion. I mean, I did all kinds of things for you, Lord. I, I can't imagine that you wouldn't, that you wouldn't you know, give me some, some props for effort. People, have, people construe all kinds of things in their minds. If there is a power, and I was wrong that there's, not, there's an intelligent mind, then I'll just I'll make my case if I get that day in court, and I'll make my case, and this infinite power, whoever this is, will just naturally bring me in. And G- Jesus, in love, consistently says, that, and then the doors were closed, and then they were thrown out, and then the weeping and gnashing of teeth, and then all these things. And you say, that is very narrow. It's narrow. And Jesus himself said it was a narrow way. But it's, it is open, and this is the key, it is open to all. It is open to all. Now, the primary purpose of this parable, clearly, clearly, is to communicate to the Jewish religious community that they are not just the in crowd, the honor crowd, and they're already in, that some of those who were invited are not going to get to get in. And so, and it's, it's an offense to them. And that's the primary communication. That's the primary purpose of this parable. This is a unique parable, by the way. You cannot take all the parables that Jesus ever told and assign meaning to every little detail. It's a mistake. This is part of uh, what you learn when you get really understand, you start getting the theology. Don't make the mistake of trying to assign details to every single little meaning, to every single little detail. Usually a parable communicates one general truth. That's... It's, it's the way that you can view interpreting Scripture. This is unique because I think, the, I think the, the details do play out because they fit back into the narrative of all of Scripture. Now, if you don't understand what I just said, just understand that parables usually are, are drive home one central point. Don't try to attach meaning to every single detail. The prodigal son, the this, the that. Uh, the you know the the good Samaritan and who was the good Samaritan who was the, what was the what did the road mean what did the you know I mean there's, people can get way off and miss the central point the central point is clear what we just discussed but there is application that goes beyond this and this is where my story comes in and I can't talk about this without it in some ways talking about my own story here are the things that I draw from this particular parable number one. There will be a big dinner one day, and even Isaiah the prophet saw this. In Isaiah 25, some of you might know this verse, but this is pretty powerful. And if you're a vegetarian, I'm sorry, but this is just the way it's going to be. Verse 6, are you ready? The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet. Now notice, this is 700 years before the time of Jesus, and the religious leaders still, still cannot comprehend, cannot comprehend that many are going to be invited. Not even, the old, not even the blind, the crippled, and the lame, the, the outcasts of, that are Jewish. They, they can't believe that they would ever be part of this, and they certainly couldn't imagine that the beasts of the field would be part of it, the Gentiles and all their crazy paganism running rampant and directly in opposition to the way they were given the understanding of a holy and mighty God through the Mosaic Covenant. But there will be a dinner thrown one day. And it's for all the peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine, sorry, Baptist, choice pieces with marrow, refined aged wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering, which is over all the peoples. What is that covering? 
I believe that is a spiritual covering. We understand from Scripture that the Bible says that Satan is the God, little g, God of this world. There is a covering. Paul alludes to this in Romans 11 as it relates to Jewish people who have not yet seen Jesus as the Messiah. He calls it a veil, lies over their hearts. But there's coming a day when all of Israel shall be saved, quoting Isaiah 59, 20. There's a picture in which sometimes this veil and of unbelief covers the world, and as a result, there's still pain and chaos and tyranny and, and war and rape and brutalization of one man to another. There's coming a day when that will be removed. Can you picture that? But it's for all peoples. Everybody's invited. He's going to swallow up death for all time. Death won't happen. I'm not going to have to get the call. And I've gotten numerous calls this last week of people who were found out they were sick and found out that they've got to go in. And, and I just got a, I had a glorious call yesterday with my friend Butch Seal, who's a trustee here, and Judy, and, and he got some great news on a biopsy that was done. But then on the same hand, I, and I, we were celebrating. I was doing a little bit of dance, you know, there on the phone. You know, he couldn't see, and I was glad he couldn't. I'm, I don't know why I just did it in front of you. So, I was a, But, you know, I was kind of dancing around celebrating, you know, here's my friend of you know, three decades, and he's gotten great news. And yet, I get the next call, and it's, it didn't get such great news. That's over. Death is over for all time. Even the veil which is stretched over the nation swell up death, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from their face. You get the language in Revelation where it says there'll be no more tears, and death swallowed up, and we'll see him face to face. We'll serve him. His bond slaves, we'll talk about that in a minute, will serve him forever and ever. This is the picture of your future. You cannot be too depressed. If you can live into that and take your imagination and go into the future beyond this life and recognize this day is coming. There will be a day. There will be a day. And Isaiah is describing it. Swallow up death for all time. The Lord will wipe away the tears and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. I have found out that when the Lord speaks, you might as well bank on it. Every single time. Do you trust the word? Do you trust what he says about your future, about your life? Not just your eternal life. Do you trust what he says about husbands, about how you treat your wives? Do you trust what he says about giving? And do you trust what he says about your sins are forgiven? You don't have to live in that kind of shame anymore. Do you trust that? Or do you live somewhere in between? You can trust it. You can bank on it. Number two, the thing I get out of this is there is a master and there is a slave. Now, Again, and I have to talk anytime I use the language of the Bible, and because this is this comes from our uh, our antagonists to the faith, they often talk slavery's in the Bible, slavery's in the Bible, slavery's in the Bible. You just have to understand most of this is bond servitude. None of us, none of it is race-based slavery. You need to understand that as well. I mean, this is not chattel slavery that we the horrors of chattel slavery that we've had is a is part of our history here in America. It is not, that is not what we are referring to here. Oftentimes, uh, this is indebtedness, and the way you play off your indebtedness is you go into uh, a position of serving someone for a particular period of time, and then you're released to, to, after your debt is paid off. This is, a, this is not, so when you see slave, the word here is doulos. It's either literally or figuratively. It can be involuntary. It can be voluntary. 
It's important that you see that. But it does talk about a man of a servile condition. And then metaphorically, it's to someone who gives up their life to serve somebody else. And that's the New Testament. That's what it's talking about with a few exceptions like Philemon and a few others we won't go into where they were still in a position of slavery. Paul says, if you're in that condition, don't try to get out of it. Just serve your master as if. And remember, the time and the place. We cannot, we cannot go back and, and look back and, and judge and all this other. This is just the way the world operates. It has operated for a long time. But again, not race-based. This is often indebtedness and bond servitude, etc. Or just your willingness to serve somebody, even if you're not even obligated to it, either legally or otherwise. That's the word in the Greek here, doulos. That's what this says. Now, Jesus took the form of a doulos. He took the form of a slave. Philippians is very clear about this, Philippians 2. Have this attitude in yourselves. Now, this is very important to me I, because the Lord has already, already spoken to me those 25 years ago. This would be your life verse. And the master said to the slave, so I, I, the first thing I did, I said, well, if this is going to be my life verse, I have to study this and study this and study this. Well, who's the master? Figured out that was God, Jesus, the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Okay, they're the master, and who's the slave? Well, in my, I'm the slave. Okay, I'm the slave. Jesus identified it as a slave, and now Paul's saying, have that attitude in yourselves. Do you identify as a slave? God's slave. Talk about this a lot. I, I, I don't know if Greg Solis is here, but Greg and Monica, they, they changed Greg's life. When we've, I first taught on this is decades ago. I first taught, on, and I said, look, this is what it is to be a bond slave. And he just said, that just is a mind-blowing concept, that I would be a slave of God. And it changed the, the direction of their lives. It was one of those, and he talks about it. He says, once I understood, once we understood what it was to be a bond slave, everything changed. Have that attitude that was in Jesus. Verse 6, who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be tried to cling on to, to grasp. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, doulos. Again, may I say, please, have this attitude in yourself. That's a big descent for him. It's not a big descent for me. I was a slave of sin already, so now I'm a slave of God. I've just been transferred. I, I've, I've preached a sermon on that from slavery to slavery, right? I was a slave of sin. That was our first song. I'm no longer a slave of sin, but now I'm a slave of righteousness, as we'll see in a minute. So Jesus took the attitude of, well, he emptied himself to become a bond slave, and Paul's saying, now you do the same thing. Take, take the same attitude. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, death on a cross. And then the Lord comes and tells us, and he says, pick up your own cross and follow me. So you want to go to Horton, get your MBA? Maybe, you know, uh, the man who offered that to me uh, died here in the last few years in his mid-90s. And it just bo bothered him. We were friends forever for like 20-some-odd years after that. And it bothered him to no end that I, I rejected his offer. I don't think he'd ever been rejected. No, who would, who would reject an offer like that? I mean, are you crazy? I've told this story, but he, he came to me uh, about a year before he died, and he, we'd, we'd be around, and I was with Mr. Ambassador over here, and he knew a lot of very important people, and this was in ben Aspen, Colorado. I still can't believe Cranford rejected me. You know, I've, I was inviting him in to be a partner, and I don't have a single partner that's worth less than $25 million, not one single partner, the least, and many of them, many more. And I know some of his partners. I've Come to know them well. Some are members over here at the Vintage Club and things like that. 
And everybody goes, Are you, you must have been crazy. No, Luke 14, 23. I'm a slave. I, I do what the master says. And the master said to the slave, do this. Do that. Again, I don't say that in piety. I wanted to get in on the mystery of God's plan for my life, even if it entailed a cross. It entailed a cross for Jesus. And if you want that for yourself, it will entail a cross for you as well. Jesus told us as much. The apostle Paul clearly identified as a slave. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. For though I am free from all men, I don't have any religious, no, nobody has any authority over me right now. I'm, I'm free from all men. I have made myself a slave to everybody. Who would do that? Talk about that in a minute. Don't you lose your identity when you do that? So that I may win the more. There's a purpose in it. I don't just do it because I'm some religious goody two-shoes. There's an outcome. So that I might win the more. Are you with me? Does that drive you in your life? Do you care about the others? Do you care about the yet uninvited guests that have never heard there's an invitation open to them to come to a great dinner party? If you're driven by that, your whole life changes. It can never be the same. Can never be the same. We can choose to go out by the master's command and invite others to join this party. I but only, only when become slaves of righteousness. Romans 6, verse 17, Paul's very clear. Listen to what he says. Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, Jeff Cranford, and I was, you became obedient from the heart. What is the heart? The heart is the central you. It is the mind, the will, and the emotions. It is who you are. It is your volitional will. Somehow, some way, and it was a God thing. I don't, look, I don't look back and take credit for it. Please don't. If you're taking away, oh, you know, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, you know, taking all credit for all that decision he made and how sacrificial it was. God put it all in front of me. And he, it was just very clear. I, his plan, my plan. I, I, how's that been working for you, Jeff? I'm not so great. I want your plan. I'll take your plan. What's it involve? You're a slave. But you're going to win the more. You're a slave, but you're, you're going to use your gift, whatever it is, and that doesn't matter. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a teacher. You don't have to be whatever it is. Use it to win the more. Thanks be to God, though, you were slaves of sin. You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you are committed and having been freed from sin. So we go from sin. I'm a slave of sin. You do what? Freed from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Well, who is our righteousness? Christ is our righteousness. So I am a slave to Jesus, and I am open about that. It, I am out of the, I'm out. I, I have come out. I am a slave of Jesus. I identify as a slave of Jesus. I am a slave of Jesus. I choose to be a slave of Jesus until I die. And my flesh will battle that until the day I die. Every single day I get up, I want to do something else. And I, I know this sounds, I don't know how this sounds to you, but most of the things that the Lord tells me to do, I, I say, I don't want to do that. I don't do that. And he's, he's got, and, but I'll pray about it. Uh, you know, pray about it. I, I don't want to do that. I, 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 Lord, I don't want to do that. I won't go there. I want to do that. I want to do this. My flesh wants to do this. And then, but it all comes back to I'm a slave. The master said to the slave, go on to the highways along the hedges. So highways and hedges. 
Do you lose your identity when you become a slave? I think one of the things when we think about, certainly chattel slavery, you do. You lose your identity, you lose your destiny, you become property. It's not what we're talking about here. Uh, Listen to what David Benner says. He says, we do not find our true self by seeking it. Rather, we find it by seeking God. Do you believe that your real, my real identity has emerged, who I was created to be after I chose to take an identity as a slave? Does that sound strange to you? I, I wouldn't know. I was, all, I was a big, false, weird combination of histrionic. I just, I was all over the place. I was emotional. I had anger issues. I had uh, sexual addiction issues. I had everything you could possibly think of. I was a slave of sin. And out of that emerged an identity of my own creation, which I really wasn't anyway. But then I, Jesus invited me into his party. I accepted the very narrow, blood-soaked invitation And in doing so, I found my identity. The last 25 years, just a few pictures here. Have you noticed, these are just different, and I just was going through my phone the other day because I I don't take all pictures of all this. Everywhere I go, that's a little shack there in Aspen, and there's a huge, you know, multi-gazillion dollar deal back here. Go back to that if you would mind, Pete. And there's a big old house back over here, and there are bears here. And, the, and the, if you know Aspen at all, a big river comes down through here. It's beautiful. I don't know what this property's worth, but it was the man who had actually invited me to go, you know, go back and get my MBA. And I would come, and I still, we were friends, and I'd stay in this little place and open up. And then, by the way, it's really nice. It's not a shack, but inside it's, it's glorious. But that was my little guest house. And uh, everywhere I went, there were hedges. Everywhere I went, there were hedges. And then I'm in the highway. And then, okay, this is, uh, this is where I just got back from. And uh, I, I walk in, and, and I, didn't, I didn't really maybe want to go at this particular thing. And this is just, they film the sound of music just right here. And that's, that's, Saint Gil, that's Wolfgang Z right here where they fly over right in the beginning of the sound of music. I don't think any of the women here have seen it, but all the men have seen it. Um, and, and, and this is uh, something he just built for his daughter. And, uh, and, and I just took a quick picture of it, got into the highways and along the hedges and compelled. And this is, uh, this is Mallorca, so we're driving into the Sangual, where the golf course is, and you notice just everywhere, hedges, 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 hedges. Now, is that exactly what Jesus was talking about? No, but that's what he talked about to me, and I've been experiencing that. I'm in the highways. I don't know, is this Seattle or where this is? I, I don't even know. I go keep flipping through those, Pete. And, uh, you know, and I just, I keep finding myself. I guess we're back to Aspen, but anyway, there's some, there's some other pictures around, and and, uh, but every, it seems like everywhere I go, there are just highways and hedges and highways and hedges. And there's even one in here of the Middle East, and it's not so beautiful. It's kind of some wrecked out cars and burnt out cars, and it was uh, in the West Bank. But the Lord told me to go there, you know. And, I, and there I was on the highway coming out of Jerusalem. And, and are, are you following me? It's just been manifest in my life. I'm not a, I travel a lot, and I guess I'll always have that. Go on the highways along the hedges and what? Compel. I want to ask you a question. How compelling are you about your story, about the story of Jesus? Sometimes you say, I don't know the Bible well enough to be able to do that. Can you tell a compelling story about your own transformation? Can you, are you able to just go out into culture and say, well, I'm not sure about all that theological stuff and 
covenant theology and dispensationalism and, you know, ah, all I know is that I was blind and now I see. May I tell you the story of transformation when I accepted the invitation to that incredible dinner party those many years ago. In closing, inevitably people will make, they will make excuses and, you know, we always think of this and say, you're supposed to do that and you didn't, so you, you go to hell. Look, I, I know there have, I, I'm, I do not run away from the idea of hell. Hell is, uh, again, I, I love Jan Hedinga from Seattle. He said, it's a provision of God's love. If you don't want God to be your master, then you will not like heaven. Heaven will not be a place you want to be. So in God's providential love, he will throw you outside the city of God. And that place is called, well, it was Son of Hinnom, the Valley of Hinnom. It was outside the city. It was where they used to, it's just on the southern part of the steps there. And you go down, there's the Valley of Hinnom. And that was where they used to sacrifice child. used to throw their garbage out there and all that kind of stuff. So he gave them a metaphor. He gave them a picture to try to help them understand. If you don't want, inside the city, God rules and reigns. Outside the city, it's dark and the worm never dies. He, he reads things like that. And then some people think it's a place of God sets up torture chambers and you see all these little cartoons and commercials. No, it's just a place outside of God's rule and reign. And the, what happens with that is it's just, well, it's not a place you want to be. Every man ruling for himself. There's not one will reigning supreme. There's many wills reigning supreme. And we see what happens when that happens. It turns into chaos, doesn't it? So... I don't run away from it at all. But I do recognize that people make excuses constantly, nonstop. And it's a tragedy. And why is it a tragedy? Because they're missing the ride with God. What I want you to walk away if you walk away from nothing else. You may have one year left in your life. You may have 50, 60, 70 years left in your life. All I know is that you want to be right in the middle of where God wants you irrespective of how sacrificial you may think it is. You want to be there. You want that river to start flowing this way because at the end of your life, the only thing you're going to care about as a follower of Jesus is looking back at your life and seeing that river and seeing, did fruit emerge from my river? Was I compelling? Did I even go out? Did I identify as a slave? Did I make excuses? Well, I'm very religious, Jeff. Scariest passage in all the scriptures, as far as I'm concerned. Matthew chapter 7, since we've got Halloween coming up, which is a nasty little hall, uh, whatever it is, I don't know. I, uh, but uh, ooh, Matthew 7 is exactly that. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father will enter. Many will say on that day, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We, we, Cast out demons in your name. We performed miracles in your name, and I will declare them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, what, what you have to, and the reason that's so terrifying, I remember the first time I read that, I was like, what? I got the wrong translation. I need to get a different translation. And I just was like, that can't be in there. I thought you're saved by grace through faith. Well, that's what faith does. Faith says, I'm ready to go with you wherever you tell me to go. I'm gonna walk with you hand in hand. But I serve on a board, and I, and I give this amount of money, and I, I cast out demons, I prophesy. I don't, it's not about your religious activities. Are you identifying as a compelling bond slave that is willing to go anywhere and do anything that the Lord tells you to do? In the process of that, it's the most exciting, the most 
beautiful life you could possibly live out on this world, sacrifices abound, but the most exhilarating place you can possibly be, and in the process, what happens? You get to know Jesus. There's no way. You need to get right now, if you don't have that confidence, that Jesus would say, I knew you. Of course I knew Daryl. Of course I knew Marge. Of course I knew Ted and John and Paul. And of course I knew them. We've been doing life together for years. The honor crowd's over there going, hey, we did this, you know, we did this, of course. Blessed are all those who eat, will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, let me tell you a little story. Are you there today? Maybe you're even watching. Maybe you're in a hotel and you just happen to be here in the desert and you're playing golf tomorrow morning or whatever and you're just flipping through and you see this weird TV preacher guy. Are there excuses that you've made or ideas that you've had about God? It's, it's, it's one thing. Are you doing life with Jesus? You know what Christianity is? Is doing life with Jesus. Master and slave. How do you start this journey, you might ask? Very simple. There's a beautiful story in the book of Acts as we close here, Acts chapter 7, 16. There's a jailer, and he's a little terrified. Some of you know the story, and there's earthquakes and this and that. The jailer kind of freaking out, and he doesn't know what to do. And verse 31 of Acts 16 simply says, They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and all of your household. To believe into Jesus is to believe into his teaching. If you understand his teaching, you understand that he's asking you, he's calling you to be, a, be slave to him. The real strange part is that at some point, Jesus says, and now I no longer call you slaves, I call you my friends. See, when you start doing life with Jesus, your identity is as a slave of his. His identity of you is that he's my friend. I no longer call you slaves, I call you my friend. We're doing life together. I ask you to do something, it's amazing, you do it. I convict you of some sin that you have. It's amazing. You turn around and you ask forgiveness. You actually pray the sinner's prayer. And you pray the, the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our trespasses. And you're, we're engaged. We're doing things. We're, we're doing life. That's what it means when people say you have a personal relationship with Jesus. And you'll never, no way would you ever hear department from me for I never knew you. What are you talking about? We've been doing stuff together for years, Jesus. Of course, that's your answer. And it starts with simply believing upon the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And I love the and all of your household part too. I trust that for my own kids. So there's a master, there's a slave, there's a demand to go, there's a command to those who were not part of the honor crowd. It's a shock and, of course, this don't let this sneaky little spirit of the honor crowd slip in on your spirit. Don't let it happen. Do life with Jesus. And then lastly, work diligently to be compelling. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, verse 15, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. He's the master. That's, that's that Lord. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. We're still in the world. It's not holier than thou. But be compelling, would you? Do you know how to tell your story? Have you ever had the opportunity to share your story? Have you, do you have a testimony? 
If you're doing life with Jesus, you have a testimony. If you're not, you don't have a testimony, you don't even know that you've ever invited, then we can start. We can be, we can be a jailer right now. You feel like you're in jail? We can be a jailer. Pray this, Lord Jesus. First of all, you just said, Lord Jesus. If, you, if you've never said, Lord, G, Lord, Lord Jesus, you're the master. I believe in you. Forgive me of my sins. I'm going to get baptized. I'm turning this ship around. I want, my, I want my river to look different. I want to look back and see fruit coming out of everywhere this river's gone. Lord, I give my life to you. I want to do life with you. I want to do life with you. Would you have me as a traveling companion? And the answer from all the authority of Scripture, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, his answer every time is yes. Come be my friend. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to close with this song. Um, we, I love this. It's, we labor, I get the words right, we labor until glory. We labor until we meet him in glory. Do you see your life, you see your life as a labor of love for Jesus? Let's worship him. And if this is your heart, then try to sing along. And then have a great week, by the way. Have a wonderful week. Weather's a little bit better. Golf courses will open before long. And uh, we'll start getting people back. And good to see many of you who are already back. We love you here at Church of the River.